Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know that young person who graduated college this past spring and is now getting ready to go get that big job? Well, here, guess what? Get over to Leon Tailoring and check out their career services division. They've got lots of good professional attire, reasonably priced for both your young men and young women who are getting off into that world of work. Hey, they graduated, they did all the interviews, now they got the big job coming up, so make sure they look the part. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for coming here today. As you all know, the governor called the Indiana General Assembly back into session beginning at the earliest on July the 6th of this year or this summer. We have set the date to begin our work uh, beginning on Monday, July the 25th. As we speak now, the Indiana General Assembly website is updating, and bills and committee reports will be on there and posted so you'll have an opportunity to take a look at those. I will go over a detailed schedule with you at the end of our opening remarks. But first, Senator Sue Glick and myself want to briefly outline the three bills the Indiana Senate intends to move in this special session coming up. Uh, the first, of course, deals with the abortion after the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This decision allows each state to determine its own policy on abortion, and I acknowledge that in doing so, it opens arguably the most difficult, polarizing issue that we face in a generation. I understand the passion that exists on both sides. Nevertheless, it is our job in the Indiana General Assembly to chart a course for Indiana and determine what our position is on this extremely difficult issue. First, a comment about our process. Our process will not be cut short in any way, and all of our procedural rules will be followed. With a difficult issue such as this, we need to ensure first that the debate is civil and substantive, and second, that everyone, all sides, have the opportunity to be heard. This will include lengthy committee hearings and where the public will be welcome to testify. Today, we've been working hard on proposed legislation, and during that process, we've received literally thousands of letters, emails, phone calls, and visits. Many of us have also met with numerous groups and individuals, including in particular Senator Glick, from all sides of the issue. As is always the case, when we get involved in legislation, we learn a lot from the folks and the experts that we speak to as we try to craft legislation. Certainly, there are two sides to this issue. Those, of course, are the life of the, life of the unborn, which many, myself included, feel as a living human being, and the women who want to have an abortion. However, as you wade into the details, you very quickly realize it is much more complex than it may have seemed at first and opinions differ on even the most nuanced of issues in language. Our underlying goal is to protect human life, promote more adoption and less abortion by limiting abortion to the life of the mother, rape, and incest, and by being compassionate and supporting pregnant women, some of whom find themselves in extremely difficult circumstances. I now want to turn the microphone over to State Senator Suglik, who is authoring Senate Bill Number 1. Thank you, Senator Bray. First of all, I think we need to talk about the fact that this is, uh, we're going to try and outline the language of the bill, and we will take some questions at the end. But what, right now, we just want to kind of go over the, the uh, guidelines that are set forth in the bill. 
being pro-life is not about criminalizing women. It's about preserving the dignity of life and helping mothers bring happy, healthy babies into the world. Many in the pro-life uh, movement have long believed in exceptions to abortion restrictions for the life of the mother, and that exception is included in the bill. In addition, we recognize that there are heartbreaking cases where, because of violence committed against women and young girls, providing, we have to provide for some additional exception. That's why the legislation we are introducing also provides exceptions in the case of rape and incest, which I believe the majority of Hoosiers accept. We want to be very clear about what this bill does not do. This bill does not affect access to the morning after pill, also known as Plan B, or any other method of birth control. This bill does not affect treatment of miscarriages, treatment of ectopic pregnancies, it does not affect in vitro fertilization procedures, does not prohibit ending a pregnancy when the unborn child would not be able to survive due to a fatal fetal anomaly, and it does not criminalize women seeking an abortion. Senate Bill 1 also does not create any new penalties for doctors who perform abortion. The existing penalty that allows a doctor to have his or her license revoked if he or she performs an illegal abortion will remain in place. That sums up the crux of the legislation, and now, now I can see the Senator Gray, and he'll go on with it. Thank you, Senator Glick. As Senator Glick said, our underlying goals protect human life by limiting abortion to the life of the mother rape and incest, and doing everything we can to support women and babies in the state of Indiana. While we may have educated guesses about what kind of support may be needed following the implementation of Senate Bill 1, no one can predict exactly what services will be needed, needed in a post-row Indiana. Now that said, this special session, we intend to use Senate Bill 2 to add an additional $50 million to programs to support women who are or may become pregnant new mothers, babies, and families. We will continue to advance this effort when we come back in January for another budget session. This $50 million includes an estimated $5 million to increase the cap on Indiana's adoption credit tenfold, from $1,000 to $10,000. And we will continue to look for ways to cut red tape and reduce the cost of adoption in the upcoming legislative session. Another $45 million for the creation of the Hoosier Families First Fund. This will allocate $45 million to agencies and programs to support women from before they become pregnant to and during pregnancy to the needs of mothers, babies, and families that may have, they may have once the baby has arrived. Some of those programs include programs that will promote the health of pregnant women, maternal support services like Real Alternatives and Pregnancy Resource Centers, access to contraception and pregnancy planning, including the removal of barriers where we can to long-acting reversible contraception, in particular when the new mother leaves the hospital so she doesn't get pregnant again shortly thereafter. Nurse Family Partnerships Program, which is a pilot program that has already been moving the needle for Indiana's maternal and infant mortality numbers. First steps, increase access to daycare for low-income families through child care development, the Child Care Development Fund, Additional support for foster families and adoptive families in the OB Navigator program. 
So all of that is contained in Senate Bill 2, which was filed under Senator Travis Holdman's name, but may ultimately end up being carried by appropriations chair Senator Ryan Mishler. Senate Bill 3, finally, my, my colleagues have come up with a proposal, given our strong fiscal position, to provide some relief to Hoosiers. First, let me say, we are grateful to the hardworking Hoosiers who kept Indiana firing on all cylinders over the last couple of difficult years. The state revenue coming in at nearly 6.2% over projections, a 15% growth in income tax, a 10% growth in sales tax, and a reserve fund found uh, just north of $6 billion, our state is in a strong financial position. Even with our rainy day fund set, <clears throat> even with our rainy day amount set aside, and the maximum $2.5 billion being transferred to our pre-96 teacher pension fund, happening right now as, as we speak, by the way, we still have about $1 billion in excess reserve we can use to help Hoosiers while continuing to be good stewards with taxpayer dollars. This is fantastic news. Unfortunately, at the same time, Hoosiers are saddled with rapid inflation. As a nation, we experienced 9.1% inflation in June uh, just last month, and we're hit particularly hard on food and gas, but core inflation is up significantly as well. While wages have increased due to inflation, and so has the need for workers, those wages don't seem to be going as far. Nationally, real wages fell by 1% in June alone. There is a consequence to this, as there is to all irresponsible spending that goes on in Washington, D.C. And the bottom line is that Hoosiers are hurt. And as good as Indiana's bottom line looks, our state dollars don't go as far as they could either. In fact, some of the major capital projects we passed in our last budget have not been carried out because inflation has carried the price well past the amount of money budgeted to complete those projects. Additionally, while we have been making great progress over the years, we still have significant unfunded pension obligations to our teachers' pre-96 pension fund. We are proposing Indiana take care of Hoosiers and at the same time take care of our own fiscal house. To give relief to Hoosiers, Senate Bill 3 contains the following. A six-month reprieve from the 7% sales tax on all residential utility bills, including gas, electric, water, and phones. Nearly every Hoosier will benefit from this every month on every utility bill. Secondly, while we feel the utility sales tax freeze will benefit more Hoosiers in a more meaningful way than totally suspending the gas tax, our members think it's important that we not allow any further increases in taxes at the pump for the remainder of this fiscal year through June 30th of 2023. As you know, sales tax on gas fluctuates each month based on the average price of gas across the state of Indiana. Senate Bill 3 temporarily caps that rate at 29.5 cents per gallon, and it suspends the increases to the gas tax and special fuel tax that took effect on July the 1st. Both of these policies will remain in place until June 30th of 2023 which is the end of the state's fiscal year. These two changes combined mean the total tax drivers, the total taxes drivers pay at the pump cannot increase until next July, though of course the taxes can go down if the prices continue to fall. This is a cap, it is not a freeze. Also, $400 million to pay down the pre-96 teacher pension fund, which is currently has an outstanding liability of $9.8 billion. Our caucus thinks it's important to continue aggressively paying down that long-term obligation 
so Hoosier taxpayers don't have that hanging over their heads any longer than necessary. Additional, another $215 million to fund the much-needed capital projects that have been outpaced by inflation that were originally funded in our 2021 budget. We've had many ongoing discussions about what the best way to provide relief to Hoosiers is in this inflated economic environment. But we believe suspending the sales tax on utilities and capping fuel taxes is the best way to go to provide relief to nearly all Hoosiers and ensure that money stays in the state of Indiana. That brings me to the end of our prepared remarks on the bills. I now briefly run you through what we expect to be the schedule for the first week of this special session in the Senate. You will be receiving a detailed copy of this schedule following the conclusion of this press conference. On Monday, that's July 25th, we will convene session at 11 a.m. to introduce bills on first reading. From 1 to 5 p.m. that day, the Senate Committee on Rules and Legislative Procedure will take up public testimony on Senate Bill 1 right here in the Senate chamber. The committee will meet again on Tuesday to take more testimony from 9 a.m. till noon. And we'll take a vote on the bill after testimony is concluded on Tuesday morning. Also on Tuesday, the Senate Committee on Appropriations will meet to hear Senate Bills 2 and 3. The Senate will meet for session to adopt the committee reports on Wednesday. We will meet on Thursday for second reading, and we anticipate meeting for third reading on Friday. That brings us to the end of these prepared remarks, and we're now ready to take any questions if you have. Rod, a couple of quick questions. Uh, number one, on the... Uh, right now, in the Senate current law, a woman get abortion under, under 20 weeks with no issue concern. Was there any talk or discussion about moving that sort of that maybe 20 weeks to 15 weeks to the gestation period? Quite a bit of conversation on that. Um, uh, it's not in the bill at this point in time. So to clarify, yeah. this is a zero a total ban, basically, aside from those exceptions. This is a uh, um, the uh, it, it limits to abortions to the life of the mother, uh, rape, and incest. Senator, what role did the case of the Ohio 10-year-old girl who had to come here in order to obtain an abortion because she was raped in Ohio and couldn't get an abortion there, what did that play in these discussions? Uh, obviously a big story. I think everybody uh, in our Senate uh, caucus paid attention to that heart-wrenching, tragic story. Um, if you look at this bill as I described it, so, you know, that, would, that, that young girl would have an opportunity here in Indiana uh, to, uh, to, to, to be treated. Ultimately, yeah, the doctor's going to have a lot to determine there. Uh, the language is uh, essentially the, very, very similar to language we've had in the Indiana Code here since 2011. It says don't, don't, it's permanent and substantial impairment to the life of the mother is basically what the language we say. I'm sorry? Will a prosecutor suggest that? Will a doctor who takes a lost license and some authority such as a prosecutor decide that it wasn't? Well, the prosecutor won't, won't, doesn't have authority, I don't believe, to take the doctor's license under those circumstances. Senator, by limiting women and people's uh, access to abortion, we know that's going to impact how many children we have in the state. Why have two separate bills for that additional funding? Well, so one of the reasons really is procedural. Uh, this is a, it's a lot of money, and it's, um, um, uh, and, uh, and keep in mind, it's $50 million. That will get us through, we'll be in session 
and beginning in January again, so we'll take a look to see what more we can do to, to continue to provide assistance to women and their babies. But um, um, we have rules, and so any, any uh, bill that has a fiscal on it needs to run through the Appropriations Committee. This allows that bill to run through the Appropriations Committee and uh, the, uh, the Senate Bill 1 to run through the Rules Committee. So you could, have, you could have the ban without this additional funding? Uh, yeah, as we've got it set up right now, yes, you could. Well, what would you the rape and incest exception uh, does not require the charging or um, conviction of a crime. It why, does not. Why write it that well, you couldn't, you couldn't require the conviction of a crime because that normally would take more than nine months to, to complete, obviously. Now, it does, it does, the language does require that an affidavit be signed and provided to the physician. What would you say to women who feel like they're bombing a target in this Well, you know, this is a really, really challenging issue, and um, uh, you, you have to weigh the, uh, the right for women to make these decisions, along with the, the right of the child that's that's uh, uh, that's not born yet, and uh, that's very significant to a lot of people. Has your caucus done any polling of constituents? What's that? Has your caucus done polling of constituents? Uh, yeah, we've looked, at, we've looked at some polling across the state. What do people say? Uh, it's, it's kind of across the board. It depends a lot on basically how the question is asked. After that social services bill, state records show last year nearly 8,000 Indiana residents obtained an abortion. How do you know that the funding you're proposing right now is going to be enough? Uh, well, as I said in my comments, we don't necessarily know that it's, uh, it's uh, going to be adequate off into the future, but this is $50 million that will get us just through January. And uh, because we're back in January and we have, we're going to do a new budget then, so we'll, begin to, we'll continue to add to it. And uh, obviously, we're, we're in July now, coming up on August, and so a lot of these babies won't be born through the rest of this calendar year. So we want to begin, though, to ramp up these programs, make sure they're adequate, make sure there's... Uh, uh, adequate staff and services for what will be a, a, probably a bump in the knee. Are you and lawmakers willing to dip into the surplus to cover those additional expenses? Uh, that's $50 million. Um, and so, and uh, plus we'll continue to work on that in this next budget session. Right. Senator Blitz said, said that this bill wouldn't affect uh, the after pill, contraception, uh, medications that are used for miscarriages and other conditions. But we've seen in other states that pharmacists are afraid to pass or to, to dispense these drugs, um, are worried about running afoul of the law. So how can you guarantee people that they will still have access to this? And this is an almost total ban on, on abortion. I think, uh, if I might, when we're looking at birth control measures of prevention of contraception, you know, of conception, it's a different avenue we want to work with young people. We want to work with young um, ladies of childbearing age and give them the opportunity to prevent conception in such a way that's scientific, it's safe. Uh, there's a number of ideas that have been floated out there, including the possibility of any pharmacists uh, prescribing birth control. But there has to be measures uh, in place to protect both the pharmacists and the individual receiving. There has to be uh, items have been suggested, such as uh, blood pressure uh, testing for anyone applying for birth control at the pharmacy. Uh, some pharmacies don't carry uh, birth control measures. That's up to them. So it's you know there's a it's a, a fluid situation in terms of we can't mandate them to carry them, but we certainly can provide those resources. We want to make as many uh, avenues available 
to help these these people, you know, take those steps to ensure that they're not having unwanted pregnancies, that they're not able or they're unwilling to carry a child to term. We would rather deal with it on the front end than on, you know, the uh, site where we're going to abortion or a resolution that's, that's that serious. So does this second bill that deals with the $50 million, is some of that money going to be used to expand contraception? I think it's possible. I think basically what that money is going to be aimed at is some of the the uh, pregnancy centers, the first steps, and, and those aid, you know those um, clinics and programs, women's centers, where information can be provided to people who just don't know. We have a number of pregnancies in the state of Indiana that are a result of. I don't want to say ignorance, but lack of understanding of people's body and, and the, you know, everyone knows where babies come from, but not everybody knows what steps they can take and what's available to them, either short-term or long-term. We want to give them as much help and assistance as possible, and for those people who are childbearing age who have children that they're not equipped to, to take care of, we want the state of Indiana to assist them in bringing healthy babies into this world and taking care of them after they get here. It doesn't do as much good to bring children into the world if we're not going to assist and help our people take care of those youngsters as we go along. I want to add on to the question there just, just briefly, because I think your question was, do we want to uh, try to expand contraception? I think the question, or the answer to that question is yes. Well, no, we, want to, we want to expand, we want to expand contraception where we can. And you know, there are some hurdles out there uh, in, uh, in clinics uh, when, uh, when a woman comes in to get, like I mentioned in my comments, a long, um, um, uh, a lark, a long-acting reversible contraception, but they don't have those on their shelves because they're expensive and it's difficult for these facilities to front-load those. And so we want to try and be helpful to make sure that those are there when the woman comes into the facility, they can, she can get help now. So, yeah, we're going to try and do that. You're going to try and expand sex education in schools to prevent teen pregnancy. Is it something that's not required currently in Indiana schools? Well, education on that front is going to be extremely important, yes. Senator, I want to make sure I have this, this clear as possible. This is a total ban on abortion from the moment of conception, except for the risk of exception. So this is limiting abortions to uh, the instance of the life of the mother, rape, and incest. Now, it's important to uh, the, the way that, uh, and, and through our conversations with experts and physicians and a number of other folks, and the way we, we, we characterize the language in this bill is that um, uh, that point begins when the fetus implants in the uterus. And so what that means is, as Senator Glick accurately reflected, the uh, morning after pill, plan B, those sorts of things, ectopic pregnancies don't come into play because at that point the, uh, the uterus has not implanted, or excuse me, the fetus has not implanted in the uterus. So uh, those things are all on the table to be available to them. So, so the, the, the education question, how are you going to prevent pregnancies that are unwanted from happening if kids don't even know how their body parts work, which is something that isn't taught maybe in the schools? Well, it's not taught in every school, but we need to make sure that that is, that we need to is work on expansion of the education. Is this something you advocate for to be taught in schools? Anything else? 
It's in a very, uh, I know some states have criminalized folks even leaving their home state to travel to an adjacent state where abortion doesn't have as many restrictions. Was that ever discussed? And if so, why not? Why didn't you guys do it? Uh, we didn't do it. Didn't feel like it talked. Um, on, the, on, the, on the inflation relief bill, just to get off the board for just a second, um, how much are you talking about saving Hoosiers with, uh, with the sales tax uh, holiday on utilities? So that's about $260 million, and then the gas the gas tax pieces would be um, uh, another another uh, 50 or so million dollars, I believe. Right. Per household, do you have any sort of guesstimate on what that would be savings-wise? Uh, you know, it varies, obviously, but um, um, there was, I think, some, uh, you know what, I, I've got it in my head, but I'm not going to say it because I might get it wrong. I'm sorry. Right. And then why not include the governor's $225 a taxpayer proposal in your bill? You know, the, uh, we talked a lot about that, obviously, and um, um, it's, just been a, it's been a good, robust conversation. I think that uh, the Senate just feels like uh, this is a better way to do it, uh, that we're not passing out money. To, uh, to individuals, we are providing them to, to save some money on their utility bills, which everyone's going to pay. And so, um, uh, in addition, you know, you, you worry a little bit about putting additional money into the economy when inflation is already moving at 9.1%. And uh, while Milton Friedman will tell you that the only person that can create inflation is the person that has the printing press, still dropping a billion dollars into the economy right now when inflation is white hot, this feels... I have some trepidation to doing that. Will this legislation include any kind of exceptions for where this law would potentially conflict with people's religious freedoms for religions you support abortion for women? I'm not sure I understood that question. I'm sorry. The Jewish faith and the Muslim faith in Indiana do support abortion access for women in certain cases. Um, is there any exceptions for this legislation for people under religious freedoms? None that are in this language. Senator, you consider like in other states, allowing civil actions, such as like Texas law, uh, is that included in any way in, in what you do? No. Uh, how confident are you? Have, I'm sure you've had discussions with uh, Speaker Houston and others in the House. Uh, are you confident of this same proposal uh, being supported over the next side? No, the Speaker and I talk almost every day, uh, sometimes more than once in a day. Uh, this is an extraordinarily challenging issue extraordinarily challenging issue. Uh, I cannot speak to what the House will do. I um, had some conversations, but I can. And even amongst our own members, uh, we've got 39 different opinions, I think, about, and they all feel extraordinarily, extraordinarily passionate about that. So this is going to be a process. It's going to be difficult for all of us as we're trying to find a path forward, and uh, this is our, this is the start of that. Do you anticipate significant amendments? I, I certainly I anticipate uh, discussing amendments, whether there'll be significant amendments to change this bill. I don't know. So there has been some conversation about um, the transparency of this process. What do you say to people who look at this and haven't heard from any of their legislators and they think that this hasn't been very transparent? What do you say to them? I think this is the start of that process. I mean, when I, if somebody wants to write a bill about uh, anything, just pick, pick whatever it is. The first thing they do is they sit down and they start thinking about it. And then you start, uh, you start talking to people that are you know, experts in that field so you can learn a little bit more about it. But you don't have public hearings at that beginning part of the process. But we are going to be, uh, we're going to run through, as I said before, every, every rule we have, we're going to follow our guidelines. We're going to have hours and hours of testimony on this so we can 
hear from people, and the conversations that we've had to date have been with people that are pro-life, with people that um, uh, advocate for women have, being able to abort their babies. We've had uh, conversations with uh, doctors from all sorts of fields, including ACOG and the OBGYNs, uh, which has kind of, for instance, allowed us to kind of land on uh, pregnancy beginning at the time that the fetus implants in the, uh, in the uterus, as opposed to any other different time. So we've worked very hard during this last several uh, weeks, a couple of months, really, trying to uh, uh, learn as much as we can and come up with a path that makes sense for the state of Indiana. Right. If there are no right, if there are no criminal if there are no criminal penalties for either the woman, the doctor, the the Uber driver who takes her to the to the to get the procedure done, what's really changed in Indiana if there are no real criminal penalties for anything? Well, some criminal penalties are still in place, uh, and uh, the, the change is that abortion is now limited to uh, life of the mother, rape, and incest. Well, so the, again, the, the language that uh, we've landed on in this bill is uh, uh, substantial, permanent uh, impairment of the life of the mother. So what penalties could someone face then in regards to this? There are... So if, for example, if, if uh, a doctor gives a partial birth abortion for a, uh, this wording is a little bit different for partial birth abortions and for dismemberment abortions, but under those circumstances, there can be, uh, 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 there can be felony uh, criminal uh, uh, consequences for that. But that is already law today. It's not added in this bill. And when he, you know, he brings up a Uber driver, someone driving someone to get an abortion based upon No. Last question. Do what about somebody who orders uh, medication abortion and gets telehealth care from an abortion care provider in, say, Illinois or California? So telehealth, for, for abortion services, telehealth is not, would not be an option. It doesn't, in the end, this bill does not permit it. What about the Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.